Oh, it's on. Would you all please go ahead and open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. The text will be on the screen, um, but it's always good to have your Bibles open in case there's something you want to reference, maybe somewhere else too. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, we'll read verses 19 through 25. And it's on page 670 in those blue Bibles. 670. So tonight we're going to continue on in our series, All Together Now, uh, talking about all these one another commands in the New Testament, all of these commands to, to, to care for one another, to love one another, to show hospitality to one another. To, this morning Andy talked about singing songs of praise to one another, and tonight we're going to talk about spurring one another on. And that command is found in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. It says, Therefore, Brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, um, I don't know how many of you do this, um, I regularly have moments in my life <laughs> where I sort of stop and think, how in the world did I get here? Um, I don't know, it happens to me all the time. Sometimes I'll be walking through sort of the old town in Zurich and just sort of think to myself, how did I get here? Like, how did I end up in Switzerland? How did I, <laughs> or sometimes before church even, I think, how, how did I ever become a pastor? Like, if you would have gone to teenage Sam and said, hey, um, however many years ago that was, let's not count, um, it, you're going to be a pastor in Zurich, Switzerland. I couldn't even wrap my brain around that. You know, my dumb, idiot, teenage brain that was only focused on, like, food couldn't even think that this would happen. Much less be happily married, have a kid, um, you know, maybe it's because when I grew up, some of you come from an area where no one ever leaves, you know, I come from California, and, and in the U.S. and California, people don't leave. I remember leaving and, and people saying, why are you leaving? Why would you ever leave? You know, my entire family lives sort of around the Pacific Ocean and, and can't imagine why I would want to live here. You know, it, sometimes I just can't figure it out. And like this song that we just sang, you know, yeah, there's hard times along the way, there's difficult experiences we go through, but I look back and I think it's really important to think of where I've come from. It's really important to think of the things I've gone through. You know, we look back and, and we see, yes, there's difficult times, but we also see people have loved for us and cared for us. People have done and given us great gifts. You know, if you have been walking with the Lord for many years, you, you've seen God answer prayer requests. You've seen God do things that you can only be described as miracles. You know, our history, our past, it usually encourages us. It can motivate us to keep going. Sometimes there are difficulties and hardships, sure. Sometimes in the present moment, it's, it, it's a struggle to see what God might be doing or what might be happening. 
But oftentimes, with many of us, there's a lot of joy in remembering as well. And enter this passage from Hebrews then. You know, it's a wonderful book of the Bible written to Jewish or Hebrew people throughout the New Testament world. And, and it's sort of an argument. It's sort of an argument and a dialogue about how the Old Testament is actually fulfilled in Jesus Christ and giving new and, and encouraging ways to live for Jewish people in the first century. And in chapter 10, specifically, just before this passage we read, the author, the writer, is telling his readers that Christ actually came to fulfill and be a sacrifice to atone for our sins, that it was accomplished. And so he starts the passage in verse 19 that we just read, therefore, because Christ has died for us and atoned for our sins, he begins. Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, let us draw near to God, since we have a great high priest. Now, I've seen pictures of Jesus. I've seen pictures of Jesus with the white cloak and the purple sash. But he's never a curtain, right? It never shows Jesus as like a, a curtain. Um, many of you know what he's talking about, right? When I first read this, I sort of laughed and thought, what would you think if this was the first time you ever read this and you had no idea that the, the, the simile or the comparison he was making? This would be kind of confusing. So, if you didn't know, He's making a comparison to the Old Testament and to the tabernacle and to the temple that used to sit in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, and before that it was a tent that they carried around, in Jerusalem there was a temple up until 70 AD when the Romans destroyed it, and in that temple was an inner sanctum, an inner, inner room called the Holy of Holies, and that room was divided by a giant thick curtain that kept people out except for once a year when the high priest would go in to make a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people. And in that place, the presence of God dwelt, or can be say, it met with the high priest there. The presence of God came to the temple and met with the high priest there. And, and, and this was the way they would worship. And it's referring to the fact that our Gospels teach us that when Jesus died, it actually tells us that the veil of the temple, the veil of the Holy of Holies was ripped and opened up. Scripture tells us that after the crucifixion, the veil tore, and it symbolizes that Jesus is, in fact, the way now to be in the presence of God from now on. That you and I don't need to go to the temple, which doesn't exist anymore, but you and I don't need to go to the temple. You and I don't need to go through a priest for atonement of our sins. That we have access to be back in the presence of God through Jesus. Now, why do I say back in the presence of God? Because as Christians, we believe that we were actually designed to be in the presence of God. If we go back to Genesis in the garden, Adam and Eve were in the presence of God, walking and talking with God. And then when sin entered into the world, our ability to be in the presence of God was separated because of our sin. That is what we believe the scriptures teach. That humanity has been separated from the holiness of God by sin, and the goal is to get back. The goal is to get back to that communion and that fellowship with God. We want to be with God again. And so the writer of Hebrews is telling the Hebrew people, hey, listen, we can have confidence to go back to God because of Jesus. His body was like the curtain. Verse 20, by a new and living way, because we have a great high priest now, and that high priest is Jesus. 
that we can have confidence to go to the presence of God, not worried about what might happen, but through Jesus that you and I can have the confidence to be with God again. So then, verse 22, let us draw near to God because we have a way. We know the way to go. We know the person to follow. We know the way to get there, as Jesus says in John 14. With a sincere heart and a full assurance of faith, having been made clean, we can go, as it says in verse 23, unswervingly. We can cling to this hope. We can, without swerving, it's really a great word, right? Unswervingly, just straight towards God. We can go straight towards God with the hope we profess because he who promised is faithful. And we read this and we think, especially for those of us who've been in the church a long time, we think, sure, get it, right? It's a simple sequence. But we know it's infinitely harder to live. We know this is difficult. How many times do things come up in life that make us swerve away from our faith, that make us doubt, that make us wonder, this is sort of crazy. Is there really a God? (laughs) I mean, is there really a God who died for my sins? This is so weird. And our faith wavers. Our faith swerves. And what's interesting about this text, I think so far, as we're reading through, everything he's talking about is individual. It's between us and God, right? Hey, you need to remember that Jesus Christ offers you this, that, that, that you can trust and have faith and that you have been washed clean, right? Verse 22, that you have been cleansed from a guilty conscience. You have been cleansed from shame. You have had your body washed clean with pure water. So far, it's all individual. It's a communal call for all of us, but everything this is saying is individual until we get to verse 24. Until we get to verse 24, everything it's talking about is between us and God, but the author is saying, listen, if we do all of these things with God, if we trust that Jesus is who he said he was, that Jesus allows us by his body to be in the presence of a good and loving God, to enter into the most holy place in communion with God, if we trust that we can draw near to this God who loves us, we can't stop there. We can't just stop with us and God and say, okay, it'll just be between me and God. I'm good. Jesus loves me. That's enough. It is. But there's more. Verse 24, we can't stop here because it's not just about you and it's not just about me. It's about us. The writer of Hebrews says, then let us consider how we can spur one another on as well toward this love and good deeds. You remember what Jesus said when he was talking with the Pharisees and he asked him, he said, hey, what's the greatest commandment? And they say, well, the greatest commandment is to love God and the second is like it, right? To love people. The greatest commandment is to love God and the second is like it, to love others. And so the writer of Hebrews says, listen, because we can love God and because Jesus has come and met us that we can have faith and have an unswerving faith, then we now have the power to also go and love others. Let us consider then how we might help others to love in good deeds. How are you spurring one another on? It's a good word. If you didn't know, a spur is the thing that cowboys wear on the back of their heels, you know? 
makes them sound really cool when they walk into a bar and it's like clanging on the wood floor at a saloon in the Western movie. Um, I love Westerns. I love cowboys. But in the Greek, this word can also be translated to things like to provoke or to stir up. I mean, really, we get the idea, though, right? How can we spur one another on? Like a cowboy sort of, you know, lets the horse know it's time to go forward. How many times have people done this to you in your life where they've come alongside you and said, hey, it's time to go forward. Hey, it's time to make that difficult decision. Hey, it's time to do this. How do we do this as a church? Think about your own life. What have people done to you? We learn from what other, I mean, for me, listen, I've had a lot of things in my life I'm not proud of, but there are a lot of things that other people have done in my life, Christians, that I, I mean, I could go on for an hour easily talking about ways people have spurred me on. I was thinking of a couple of things I wanted to share. One, how do we do this resources? How many times in your life has someone, and even if someone hasn't done it outside of your parents, your parents paid for a lot of your stuff, (laughs) right? But has anyone ever given you a gift to do something special? Maybe it was to go on a trip to build experience. Maybe it was for a certification, a training. Maybe it was for a book you needed. Maybe it was for, I mean, who knows? You know, we can give and we can spur one another on with helps and resources. If God has given us, we can give to others. You know, it can be in relationship. It can be in relationship like mentoring and discipleship where we come alongside someone younger and and coach them and walk through life with them. I mean, I can list uh, many people who have slowed down their own life to walk slowly alongside me while I figured it out (laughs) and tried to spur me on to do better and loving things. You know, we can uh, carry one another's burdens. You know, we've talked about this already in the the One Anothering series about carrying one another's burdens. That we can come alongside friends in difficult times and be that person they lean on and spur them on to keep going even though things are awful. People have done that for us, haven't they? With things like listening and encouraging. I mean, whatever it is. I mean, last week we heard Belinda share testimony about her time here and and, and the thing that God was telling her and God told her when she felt like there was nothing else she could do. God told her, you can pray. How can we spur one another on? We can come alongside sisters and brothers in Christ and we can just say, hey, how can I pray for you? We can pray. There's so many things we can do to spur one another on. I love actually how the author doesn't say how. It just says, consider you, Christian, person who claims the name of Jesus Christ, you consider how you might spur one another on towards love and good deeds. What is in front of you? What gifts do you have? How do you want to love one another? Go and do it. And then the writer goes into something that's really cool, I think, that is really, really crucial into spurring one another on in verse 25. Let us not give up meeting together. Now, church, obviously I want this, I'm a pastor, right? So it may sound, this is sort of, you know, the pastor trying to say you need to go to church. Um, I do believe church is important. I believe communal worship is actually very important. I believe that intentional gathering is great, but I think that being part of a church is essential to our spiritual lives. I really believe that. You know, and I've I've said this before, it doesn't have to be here at IPC. I honestly don't care where it is. If you have a community of Christians who come together in the name of God to worship and learn from him, great. 
Go and do it. But as Christians, if you claim the name of Jesus Christ, meeting together is essential. Gathering in the name of Jesus with friends, with you know, friends from church, friends from another church is all good, but gathering in Christian community is absolutely essential because I believe that worship and being part of a church, nothing can substitute this. Nothing can substitute what happens on Sunday nights when we come together like this or Sunday mornings or Friday nights or Saturday nights or whenever you find yourself in church. Many people say that formal church is not necessary and I respectfully disagree. You know, there's this huge movement um, in the U.S. of a lot of people my age, you know, 30s and 20s, talk about, I don't need to go to church. I just gather with my friends and that's my church. And I understand what they're saying, but we, we don't have time to go into it so much. Just trust me when I say and ask me more questions about this later if you would like to know that I truly believe in verse 25 that what this is talking about and, and, and what I want to encourage you to do is to know that Christian worship is essential. That Christian worship, sitting under the teachings of the Holy Scriptures through the power of the Holy Spirit and going through these things together help so much. And I say this because it's one of these weird things I just know to be true in my own life. (laughs) I can't tell you how many times, uh, there was times, if you don't know, I wasn't a pastor and so I actually had the choice to go to church or not on Sunday. And there were a lot of days where I didn't want to go. Fully confess. A lot of times I didn't want to go to church and we just didn't go. And there were times when we would wake up and it was just a thought of, you know what, we need to go to church. I don't know why. I don't particularly want to. It's cold outside. (laughs) It's early, I'd rather sit in bed. But something comes over and you just, I need to go to church. There's something mysterious that happens in this fellowship of believers when we gather together in the name of Jesus. And that is essential to encouraging and spurring one another on. And then the second thing that we do is everything outside of that, right? It's gathering to pray. It's gathering to share a meal. It's gathering for coffee. It's gathering uh, with just other Christians who understand our foundation and what we believe in. Because it actually, you have to have both, don't we? We have to have both of these things. We have to have church, and we also have to have meetings outside of church with other Christians. Because if your only interaction with Christians is for an hour on Sunday night, you're missing out, (laughs) And if you're not committed to worshiping together in a church body, I believe there are things you're also missing out on. It is both together. And I want to share a specific story about this. Um, It's sort of emotional, so if I get choked up, I I apologize. I was working as a pastor in Denver, Colorado uh, for about five years before I came here, from 2009 to 2014, 2015. And I liked my job, but I didn't love my job. It was a good job. I was in seminary at the same time. But our church community wasn't in church. There was no, I mean, legitimately, there was no other young couples. It was a bunch of older, older people and then like the kids in my youth group and there was sort of no like young couples in our 20s. And for my wife and I, this was really difficult. Um, And so it was hard for us because we didn't have a lot of Christian community outside of church. And so we decided um, to open up our home to some friends of ours who were Christians. And this came about through a really sad circumstance where a group of our friends, um, a church they were a part of, sort of fell apart because the pastor was very manipulative and very deceitful. And a group of friends of ours left a church uh, because they had been hurt. And they didn't want to go to church. And so here we were, and we said, we're just going to open up our house to these people and have what we just call family dinners. 
Um, the reason really <laughs> was twofold. One, my wife is amazing and wants to invite people into our home. And two, um, I had a very large vegetable garden and too much food to eat. And so we started just having people over. And it was really weird because over time, these people just kept coming back. And, I <laughs> and it was <laughs> they became really good friends. And, and, and over time, we never had prayer services. We never had worship. You know, we would talk about theology. We would talk about church. We would talk about God. You know, and I was worshiping at my church, but then during the week, we were having these family dinners once or twice a month. And when we sold our house and we're getting ready to move here, this is the part I get emotional, sorry. A friend of ours came to us and said, thank you so much. I was going through a really dark and hard time. In your house, I couldn't trust churches because churches hurt me. But your house became a place where we experienced and felt the love of God. So thank you. Not all of them have come back to church, and it bums me out. But some of them have. And some of them, over time and over difficulty, have actually started worshiping again and are still meeting and gathering together. And these people have gone through this horrible, horrible time And just by being loving and welcoming, we were able to be like Christ to them. And those of you, (laughs) hospitality is not my number one gift, and yet God used me because I was just willing. Because I was willing to just gather with other Christians and be together. Church, when it says, let us consider how we may spur one another on, it's talking about just use what you have and let us not give up meeting together. Be part of a church and go out and just gather in the name of Jesus with other friends. I mean, honestly, I think about my own life. I mentioned this, right? I look back and I think, how did I get here? I have this list of people who for some reason have decided to say, Sam, I'm going to help you. (laughs) I can list, I mean, I have a list right here of a ton of people. Jamie, my first mentor, my my first pastoral mentor, a guy named Kit, a friend named Josh who still cares and invests in me, my own family who has always invested in me and bent over backwards to help me. I think about seminary. I think about, I have a list of, I'm not going to list them all, seven or eight professors in seminary who encouraged me over and over again. Look back at your life a little bit for a second. Who has spurred you on? Who has stopped what they were doing to lead you toward love and good deeds? And as a brief interjection, if you're thinking of someone specific, let me encourage you to send them a note, an email, or give them a hug this week. <laughs> It'll mean a lot to them. But even in Scripture, we see this. Even the heroes of our faith had people spurring them on. They weren't superheroes. They needed help. We just read the passage, or Lynette read the passage of King David and Jonathan. David has been anointed to be king. David is supposed to be king. And yet he's discouraged and worn out. The active king Saul is trying to kill him. And Jonathan, the son of that king, who should not be helping David, goes to him and says, no, you're going to be king. What Samuel said, the, the anointing he made over you is going to come true. Trust in the Lord. Church, why have we forgotten the good things God has done for us? Why have we forgotten the people who have come alongside us We have forgotten our forgiveness in Jesus, this this avenue we even have to get to God, and we, we sometimes forget. And then, to make matters even worse, we forget about the people who have been like Jesus to us. 
We forget about the things people have done for us. That God has provided us with people throughout our life along the way that we would be equipped to do love and good deeds. I love that old hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. It's nothing new. We read through scripture and this happens over and over. But when we stop and think, when you have those moments and you stop and think, how did I get here? (laughs) How in the world did I get here? I want you to remember this. I want you to remember that God, through Jesus, gave us the confidence to be with him by his blood and that we can actually draw near to this God so that we might go out then and spur one another on to the love that we have found. Church, my life hasn't been all great encouraging stories. Some of you know these stories. But even when I was low, even when I didn't want to keep going, because I was in Christian community, because I was meeting with Christians, people came alongside me and spurred me on, even when I didn't want them to, because I was in the habit of meeting with other Christians. And so I'm able to look back and see the truth. I'm able to look back and see the things people have done for me, and I say, you know what? Let's not give up meeting together. Let's not. Let's get a coffee and pray. Let's talk about the things in life that are really difficult and pray about them. Let's get together for a meal and let's not mention God or Jesus because it's really hard right now. Let's just enjoy one another's company. Whatever it is. Church, we need to use these gifts. We need to use our experiences. We need to know where we've come from so that we can share with others. And some of you in this room might even be skeptical of this. Some of you in this room might even say, I've never experienced this. I'm gonna make a bet with you. I know for a fact and believe with all, of, all that I am, there's a lot of things in life I don't know and I'm quick to say, actually just today, I met with, uh, I was in my office and one of the afternoon Bible studies asked me a question and I gave a short answer and then ultimately said, you know what, I don't know. Honestly, I forgot that that was even in the Bible. Um, there's a lot of things I don't know. But hear this, there's one thing I do know. If you invest in Jesus, through his church and his community, you will be spurred on to do love and loving and good deeds. Christians will come around you and they will encourage you and they will lift you up and they will be there for you. Doesn't mean that everyone will. Everyone won't be perfect. You might get hurt. But I have never met anyone who pursued after Jesus with their whole heart and invested in Christian community through service and fellowship and coffee and meals and time spent together, who has ever said that this God was a liar. When we trust in the church and in our Christian sisters and brothers, knowing that we aren't perfect, knowing that we might hurt each other a little bit, but I gotta be honest with you, church, if it wasn't for other people coming around me, I would not be here today. And if it wasn't for people saying, Sam, stop being a dummy and do the things God has called you to do, I would not be here today. If it weren't for people coming alongside me and saying, Sam, let's pray about that, I would not be here today. And so, church, many of you are in the same boat. Think back of the people who have done these things for you that we would go and do these things for one another. In the name of Jesus Christ, let us spur one another on 
toward love and good deeds. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we acknowledge, Lord, I acknowledge that I am far from perfect, that I'm often selfish and don't particularly want to spend my time with other people encouraging them. And yet, Lord, I remember where I've come from. Lord, we remember that you have surrounded us with a great cloud of witnesses to lead us to this faith, to an unswerving faith, God, where we can trust in you, where we can be washed clean, where we can find our Heavenly Father who loves us, that we would then go and spur others on to love and good deeds. Father, may we be a community, not just here at IPC, but all the churches around Zurich who come together, who trust in you, who spur our brothers and sisters, our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers on to do great things in your name. Lord, we trust what you're doing. We remember what you have done and where we've come from and ask that you would give us the strength, the words to speak through the power of the Holy Spirit to be this for others. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.